pray together. God, we're thankful to be here today, thankful that we have the opportunity for worship and that we know in this place and at this time you are present with us and you have been present and will be with Christians across the globe today worshiping you. And God, we're thankful for that and we ask that you would allow your word to challenge us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Today we continue in the Blueprint series, and we're thinking about a blueprint for the life of the church. What does it mean to be the church? What are we here for? What are, what are we built on? What's our foundation? What can change? What can't change? And how can those things change? And we've been looking at the book we call Ephesians, which is a letter of Paul, in some ways more of a handbook for church life, and we've approached it a little bit in that way. And we've been thinking through some of the topics that Paul talks about for church life. And today we come to one and it's really all about oneness. It's about unity in the church and conflict. And I don't know about you, but like I do not enjoy conflict. Okay. Some of you know what that, what that means. Others are like, let's have a healthy debate. I don't mind sort of button heads with somebody. Bring it on. Well, that is not me. I don't like what that does to relationships. I don't like how that makes me feel. And so I don't enjoy that. Some people do, but that's not me. But here's the thing. Conflict is part of human life. And at times it's just part of church life. Now, some people in the room, when they hear me say that, are going to be like, okay, something must be going on around here, right? Because James wouldn't be talking about this if he wasn't preaching to somebody, so I hope they're listening so we don't have any trouble. And that's just not the way it is, okay? I've, I've had this sermon on the docket for weeks, if not months, and it's just something that Paul brings up because it was just as present in the early church as it is now. So, there's like nothing behind the scenes. Everybody can Take a deep breath on that, and just, we want to hear what Paul has to say. But here's what I do know. At, at this moment in the life of our country, and really, man, if you look across the world, we see this at work too, but we are in the midst of a time where our culture is just rife with conflict, right? I mean, there are so many sources of conflict at work in the world right now, um, we don't have to look very long. Racial tension is a huge problem in our culture right now. And while it's a very small group of people who would say, yeah, we need to exclude this group or that group. We don't like them or don't like the other. And there, there are a lot of approaches to dealing with the problem as it is. And so well-meaning people are really in conflict over how do we handle this tension that is present. And all that tension boils over into violence and and we have really struggled with that as a culture in the past few weeks and past few months. Add to that the fact that we're in the midst of a global pandemic, right? We've got all this problem about the coronavirus and, and we have conflict over how do you deal with that? And people are sort of, every person has their own approach. Gather 10 people in the room and my guess is we won't be in 10 exactly the same spot as others because... Like, do masks work or they don't work? Are we really hearing the truth? Do we have the right numbers? What are the treatments going to be? Is some kind of vaccine going to be safe? I'm going to be the first one or I'm not going to be the first one to take some vaccine. We're all in a different place and that creates, man, a whole lot of conflict. Just look on social media, right? Everybody's right. It's amazing about that. And, you know, with that said, maybe you haven't noticed, but there's also an election coming up soon, okay? 
And that is a tremendous source of conflict in our culture. We saw that at work in the debate this last week, just between the candidates and the moderator, right? Tremendous conflict. And the truth is, an election is always going to bring some conflict, and, and it should in a way, because you have two competing, or maybe even more than two, competing visions for the future, what the world should be like, how the nation should be governed, and so there should be sort of a healthy exchange of ideas, and yet it seems to be beyond just that, doesn't it? I mean, there is a, there's a lot of conflict around this election. Add to that a Supreme Court vacancy and a nomination and whether that should go forward, who it is, and all that stuff. And, and we have all kinds of sources for conflict. But here's what happens for us as a church. It is so easy for all that conflict in the culture to spill over into the church, isn't it? I mean, it does it in families. It does it among friends. And that conflict spills over into the life of the church as well. Because we don't all agree on all that stuff. And so I've read so many articles, blog posts, all this stuff about churches that are in the midst of a lot of conflict within the church because of issues that really are outside of the church. And then how does the church respond to all of that? So what do we do with that? How do we handle it when there is conflict in the church, sometimes because of things that are spilling over from the culture and making conversation in the church really hard and hurt feelings and people can't communicate? What do we do with that? Well, the good news is we're not the first ones to deal with this because Paul really does deal with just this kind of issue because it was present in the first century, not exactly the same issues, but the same kind of conflict. So what did he say? That's what I want us to explore this morning. Paul's dealing with, in Ephesians chapter 2, racial tension, believe it or not. Okay, It was there in the first century, not exactly the same, but still present in the 21st century. In Paul's day, it's really between two primary groups, Jews and Gentiles. And they were very separate, and it went back for hundreds of years, even before Paul. Because of the Old Testament laws, the Jews had in some ways isolated themselves from the larger culture. They had different rules about what you could eat. They had different rules about worship. They had different rules about how a culture, a society worked. They worshipped different gods, and in, or a different god. And in fact, the Gentiles often looked on the Jews and said, you're a bunch of atheists. And we go, how could they have called them atheists? They worshipped God. Well, the Gentiles had... Hundreds of gods. I mean, you walk down the street of Athens, as Paul did in the book of Acts, and there's temples to all these gods. And they looked on the Jews and they're like, they don't, they don't hardly have any gods at all. They're, they're practically atheists. So there's great tension between these two groups. And then along comes Jesus. And Jesus has this great good news of salvation and a relationship with God that's opened up. And he dies on a cross and he's buried and he's raised from the dead. He defeats death. And then just a few weeks later, we have the church being formed. And it begins to spread. And what we know is that the very earliest church is primarily Jewish. Jesus is a Jew. The apostles, all Jews, the earliest followers of Jesus, every one of them Jewish. But it isn't long before Gentiles begin to hear this message. 
This message that God is acting in a powerful way, it's a new day. And He's inviting people into a relationship and there's hope and forgiveness and eternal life at stake. And this is such good news that many Gentiles begin to hear this message, resonate with it, and want to become followers of Jesus. Which is awesome! But it created all kinds of problems for the early church because you've got these early Christians who are Jewish who, and suddenly after spending their whole lives separated from Gentiles, the Gentiles are right in the middle of their religious life. And so questions come up. Like, can we, can we as Jews worship with these Gentiles? Could, could we eat a meal with them? Could, could our kids intermarry? What about all this? Shouldn't all these Gentiles follow all of our rules so that we're all right with God? Shouldn't they become Jews before they become Christians? Isn't that the way it should work? And, and a lot of people advocated for just that position. And Paul said, no. It doesn't work that way. And in fact, all this stuff that divides us, we need to rethink it. And so we pick up in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul's writing to uh, mainly a Gentile crowd, and he sort of opens this conversation, if you will, this teaching, speaking to the Gentiles, and he reminds them, okay, this is what your life was like before Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 12. Remember that at that time you were, listen to this list of things, separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. It's pretty bleak, isn't it? You didn't have God. You didn't have the covenant that God had invited humanity into. You didn't have Jesus. You didn't have hope. When this life was over, it's like it's all over. That's it. There's nothing else. That's where you were. Remember that. But. But. Verse 13. Now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now certainly in some ways they were far away physically. Like the Jews and Gentiles stayed separate, but Clearly, Paul is thinking on a deeper level than that, right? They were far away, not just from each other, but the Gentiles were far away from God. And Paul says, you're, you're brought together by the blood of Christ. And what I have in mind there when Paul says that is, you know, when Jesus was on the cross, when Jesus was giving, literally shedding His blood for us, then when we come to the foot of the cross, we don't come with pride we don't come saying, you know, sure, it's a good thing that I've obeyed God better than all these people around me. We don't come saying, I'm separate, I'm different. What we do is we come to the cross in humility, knowing that my sins put Him on the cross. It wasn't some other group. It's me. We come there knowing that we have the same need. That ultimately... We come to Jesus needing forgiveness and the great gift of eternal life. We come to Jesus knowing what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, which is we needed grace. 
And that brings us together. We have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Verse 14, Paul says, and this is great language, for he himself is our peace. Now, Paul could have worded that in lots of ways, right? He could have said, for Jesus brings peace. Jesus is a peacemaker. Jesus creates peace between those who are at war. But instead of that, he paints this picture, he himself is our peace. It is Jesus that stands between us and God, and he's the one who becomes peace between me and God, even though I pushed God away. And it is Jesus who stands between those that I might be in conflict with, even in the church. It is Jesus who brings peace. It is Jesus who is peace between us when we are in conflict. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now again, I think Paul uses those words in a couple different ways. It is definitely sort of metaphorical. There's a a wall of division between Jews and Gentiles made of centuries of separation, of laws that they kept. And And Paul is saying that is wiped away in Jesus, but I think he's bringing to mind an image that lots of them would have known about. Maybe you know a little bit about the architecture of the temple in Jerusalem. It was a series of courts that were sort of concentric, and and the largest one on the outside was called the Court of Gentiles, and anybody could go in there, Jew, Gentile, anyone could go in that court. And there was a lot of commerce there, a lot of discussion, a lot of teaching in that Court of the Gentiles. Just inside that is the Court of Women. Any Jew could go into the Court of Women. Inside that, the Court of Men, only Jewish men, and then the temple itself. But between these two outermost courts, the court of the Gentiles and the court of women where only Jews could go, there was a literal wall, four feet high, a dividing wall that kept the Jews separate from the Gentiles. And as Paul writes this, he is imprisoned probably because he has been falsely accused of taking a Gentile Beyond that barrier, that literal barrier. And Paul is saying in this moment, all that stuff that divides us, Jesus has taken it away. Jesus has taken it away. There is more important things at stake than that. Middle of verse 15. His purpose was to create, and this is a great language as well, his purpose was to create in himself One new humanity. One new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God, again, through the cross by which he had put to death their hostility. The Jews and the Gentiles considered themselves two very different people. In fact, the Jews would have considered themselves a special people, right? God's people. But Paul here says, in Jesus, he's made one people. One new humanity. Now the truth is, there were still a lot of differences between Jews and Gentiles. Even at this point. A lot of Jews still kept many of the, of the laws that they were given in the Old Testament. And the Gentiles did not. And Paul said, that's okay. They have different stories to tell. Different languages that they speak, different families, different sort of countries of origin, all those things 
were different. They are not the same people. But they could find unity in Jesus Christ. And really, that's what I want us to hear from this passage. Though we are not the same, we are one in Jesus. Though we are not the same, we are one in Jesus. What does that mean for us today? We have some serious dividing lines in our culture. They're not going to go away. I mean, we've got a month before this election. No telling what's going to happen in this month, right? Or the month after that. Some of this stuff is going to be here a while. And there may be something new that could divide us as well. Though we're not going to always be the same, think the same, tell the same story, speak the same language, we are one in Jesus. You know, the most basic confession of faith for Christians is this. Jesus is Lord. And when we say that, part of what we're saying is some of the things that we've read in these first two chapters of Ephesians, that God has made Jesus Lord and King over all things, all powers. We've talked about that. But what we're also saying is Jesus Jesus is Lord in my life. And when we say Jesus is Lord, we are saying Jesus is more important than anything else. However I feel about politics or pandemics, however I feel about the court system or anything else, is secondary to what I think about Jesus. Now here's a danger. I've heard Christians across the spectrum politically and on anything else say something like, if they believe this, they're not real Christians. I think that's language we want to stay away from. Because if somebody says Jesus is Lord... That's where we need to start. You see, we're not all the same, but we're one in Jesus. And it just might be that the person we disagree with, they might be thinking this from a different angle. Or they might be wrong in that. But it doesn't necessarily mean they're not a Christian. And it might also mean I'm wrong. I might find that out later. but I can still be one in Jesus with fellow believers. Jesus is Lord. That's the most important thing. And if we can keep that first, then we can have Christian unity. Then we can work and worship together. Even though those differences are powerful and we have to work them out, and we may have to talk about them, and we may have some difficult moments because of them. But we're called to do just that. Now, it might be that, you know, we look back on what Paul's talking about, and we say, and some of the stuff that divided these early Christians, that seems like super trivial to me. Like, what are you going to eat? What are you going to eat together What are these holidays like? It all seems like, does it really matter? Well, guess what? To them, it really mattered. And it might be that a few decades from now, maybe a few centuries from now, 
Some historian is going to look back on the early 21st century and say, you know the stuff that those Christians couldn't agree with? That seems super trivial right now. Feels really important, doesn't it? But compared to Jesus is Lord, it doesn't matter nearly that much. We've got to find a way to have peace with one another. Maybe to follow the example of two Supreme Court justices. Maybe you've seen this before. Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg both passed away now. Both longtime justices on the Supreme Court. And my guess is that there are people in the room, people in our church, that would call one or the other of them a hero. And you might say, well, I don't think a Christian could call him a hero. I don't think a Christian could call her a hero. Guess what? I know there are people in our church who consider both of these people heroes, just not at the same time, right? We might say, I don't get that. But somehow those two found a way to become very close friends. And their spouses, and they would, would share New Year's Eve every year, would share the city of New York, enjoyed going to the opera, all this stuff. They became very close friends. And even though they disagreed bitterly, they were at opposite ends of the political spectrum, they found a way to have friendship. Scalia said, as one of the most conservative justices on the Supreme Court, what's not to like except her views on the law? Maybe we need to learn something from that. That even though we might disagree on some, some really important stuff, we hold in common something far more important. The simple truth that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful for what we hold in common today. We're thankful for Jesus. And God, we pray that you'll give us the insight, the faith, the knowledge to find unity with our brothers and sisters, even when we disagree on things that matter. But God, help us focus in on standing at the cross and knowing our common need there. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand again together and worship.